Valley Forum. Again, we are bringing you independent voices and civil dialogue across that deep political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, I'm your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, the heart of America's heartland. And if you value what we do, and I hope you do, uh, we could use your support. Visit the uh, donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a, a nonprofit that's doing good work, uh, give us a shout. We'd love to have you as a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Uh, Gateway's Cafe is open for breakfast, lunch, and supper, dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's uh, catering and floral service as well, folks. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact DavidJFamilyPsychiatry.com. With me today in the studio, Dr. Charles Goldman. We've got a lot to talk about, but Dr. Goldman, i I got I to gotta ask you about this. Is uh, my brother here? No, no, no. no you're, today you're a doctor as well. Okay. Unless your brother's hiding under the piano or something, I don't know. But we, we, i got to ask you about this very enterprising German capitalist. Uh, he, got, he got COVID vaccinated about 90 times. And not because he thought he needed it, he just wanted to sell the, the uh, fake vaccination cards. And I looked it up. Those things are running 100 bucks to 120 bucks per card. So, you know, he could have earned, if he sold them all, over 10 grand. That's not bad. What do you think? Is it worth it? I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> 90 vaccinations. I know. It's like a pincushion, you know? Well, obviously, that's one person who's not worried about the microchip or the other side effects of having a COVID vaccination. Right. No worries at all. But uh, it can, that can't be good for you. I, I can't imagine it is. No. Nor particularly effective as a vaccine. No. But, but I mean, I, I would think that it'd be like overdosing. Like, like I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't see how you don't have some consequences of that, other than getting put in jail, which is what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It is a little bit hard to understand, you know, although bringing up the vaccinations, I guess the, you know, the big question now, of course, is um, what to do about the boosters again. The, well, the, the booster, the, the, booster, the booster yeah. of the booster. Yeah, the booster of the booster. So, yeah, what do you do about that? I mean, I, personally, I, I, I don't see the point in being vaccinated a fourth time against the strain of the virus that is no longer circulating. All right. And so my feeling is, and I think a lot of people's feeling is and that they'll probably wait. There's going to be an updated, you know, variant that's an Omicron variant in these vaccines coming up. And it'll be like, you know, your flu vaccination. You'll probably try to tailor it to at least what was in circulation much more contemporaneously. I, I don't see the point of getting another booster, even though I know that is the recommendation at this point. Yeah. Well, Okay. And, and you're and you're not exactly a, a well. I'm in the an, age uh, group at least, yeah, yeah which yeah. which they've been talking about. But you know, it, it, again, now we're two years in. There's information out there which I think is very helpful. Um, about two thirds, I'm sorry, about one third of the deaths among Americans was among people with diabetes. Mm. So regardless of age, mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a huge factor here, right. and. Um, the you know the the virulence in terms of transmission of this virus now is believe it or not they actually ran a trial in which people volunteered to be infected <laughs> with really? young young healthy Gosh. people who are unlikely to get wow. sick 
you know, and it shows that this actually was a highly infectious. I think, I think, I think I'd rather forge vaccination cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if I had to get jabbed ninety times, but no. uh, so I. But, I, but you know, the. the I mean, the reason this guy's doing this, of course, is because there are plenty of people out there who don't want to get vaccinated, even if they've been vaccinated, they're for some reason uninclined to get boosted, mm -hmm. and yet these countries, countries in the EU and elsewhere, are requiring these vaccination cards. So I understand why we've created this black market for this product, uh, and I, in the way, if, there's, if there's a product that's in demand out there, somebody's going to find a way to capitalize on it. In this case, this 60-year-old German guy who just doesn't mind getting needles stuck in his arm. But uh, the, isn't that a problem that we have countries now requiring you to have this card for, as you just described, a disease that, um, that again, 30% of the deaths here in the U.S. were related to diabetes? I mean, is, is there something wrong with that policy? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of changed my view of of, of things, you know, I mean, as we were talking about before we started the show, I mean, one has not come out from the bomb shelter for the last two years. And, um, you know, that's, that is not healthy. And that's not healthy to continue, especially at a time when the, that we are in between surges. I mean, that's, that seems to be fairly obvious. Um, we're back down to less than 10 people in our hospital with a positive COVID test. That doesn't mean they came to the hospital for COVID symptoms. So I think we do have to, at some point, stop creating more problems for ourselves and fatiguing everyone so that when, if, it, if and when we do have to go back to more intensive mask wearing, revaccination, it would be more readily accepted. But so, just telling people there's no end is just right. not so, so, so to my point, countries that are demanding a vaccination card, COVID-19 vaccination card, are out of step with the best science? At the moment, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I think so. at this point... You, and they're creating you know, a black market. Well, who's ever going to get vaccinated has gotten vaccinated. And those who've gotten sick carry a certain amount of immunity for you know indeterminate amount of time. And um, every surge has been less lethal uh, and less demanding on the hospitals than the previous one. Right. So yeah. I think it is time to give people some break, a break, in case we do, in fact, have to, you know, yeah. change direction. All right, and let's change direction. I want to talk about something else. Sure. Um, carbon dioxide pipelines. Again, uh, the upper Midwest is, once again, ground zero in, uh, in we're ground zero for uh, the expansion of oil pipelines as well. Not entirely, but for this uh, CO2 pipeline craze, we are definitely ground zero. They want to expand the network from 5,000 miles in the U.S. to 65,000. Just 2,000 of that mile, 2,000 of those miles would be in Iowa. The opposition among landowners is huge. Uh, obviously, people concerned about legitimate climate change solutions are opposed because it's a greenwashing scheme. But what's happening in Iowa is, uh, is uh, you've seen this pushback uh, by so many people that the legislature is feeling it has to act. And Republicans are kind of they were kind of on again, off again, Charles. They they, they didn't really make a, a firm commitment. Uh, until recently, on the floor of the House, uh, an, an amendment introduced by Bobby Kaufman passed on a voice vote, meaning it passed without any real opposition, and that establishes a one-year moratorium. During that year, through February of 2023, the Utilities Board cannot authorize any company to use eminent domain. So these companies that want to come in and 
take land to build this pipeline can't do that. They can try to sign voluntary easements, but they can't come in and take your land. Now, the big question is what will happen in the Senate? That's the next big step here. Will the Senate also bring this up for a vote? Will they also pass it? Um, given Republicans change in direction on this, I suspect they will do that. I have no idea what Democrats are going to do. I mean, the, the House Minority Leader, uh, Jennifer Confers, who, who I respect, uh, had uh, a very, uh, you know, a very confusing response on Iowa Press recently where she said, oh, you know, I see both sides, it kind of depends. Ouch. At least she came out and said she was, she was going to support the, um, the amendment in the House. But here's Zach Walls. He's the minority leader in the Senate. Again, I like the guy well enough, but here's his quote in the uh, Gazette. Quote, I do, I do think there's a general agreement that we should be looking really closely at this issue, given how much energy we're seeing on it around the state. End quote. Uh, and if, if I, you know, I, I like the use of the word energy. Energy? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you know, it's a good pun. I hadn't caught that. But, um, you know, in this case, it's, it's biodiesel. In this case, it's ethanol. But... But no, I mean, talk about a lack of leadership. It, because, it, because people are chattering about this a lot around the state, then maybe we need to, uh, maybe we should uh, be looking really closely at it. What's that, a study commission? What, what is that? Oh, you mean really like the one we had about uh, re, <laughs> reconfiguring the Supreme Court of the United States? Different one, but yeah. But same idea, which <laughs> well, is forced not to if you, ever if you, engage the issue. Yeah, and that's exactly what this is. This is, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to take a stand on this. So I'm just going to say that because a lot of people are making noise, maybe we should look at it really closely. I mean, Democrats, they keep, they keep finding new ways of either alienating voters, ignoring opportunities, and setting themselves up for another big election loss. And I don't think it's just here in Iowa. It looks like... You can play out similar, 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 um, you know, descriptions of issues around the country. <laughs> What's your feedback on it, Charles? Well, I mean, the backdrop to all this, of course, is this is another way of supporting the continuation of the ethanol fiasco. Um, you know, we don't need any more studies showing that the use of ethanol is not beneficial to the. Uh, issue of greenhouse gases mm. and that um, so now they're trying to find a way to somehow uh, reclaim it as we move forward right. you know and, and one of the reasons we're in the situation we're in as a country is that people see that we're doing nothing we can do nothing and we do nothing mm. to address the future everything is about staying the same reinvoking the past so we reinvoke the continuation of the maluse of Iowa farmland to grow a crop to be turned into ethanol, which doesn't really have much benefit environmentally. Right. And then we're going to, you know, somehow, again, salvage it by, by taking and, greenhouse gases. And, and there are farmers saying the same thing. And, you know, right. corn farmers, I mean, some are signing, sure, there are some who are signing voluntarily to have this pipeline run through their property, and some who probably see the benefit of of, uh, of the of this project in terms of its continuation of corn production for ethanol, but but a lot of these corn farmers are saying no, we don't want it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, you know, speaking of uh, well, I mean, but let's 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 look, have a different look at this where it's not about ethanol. You know, because mm -hmm. it's easy it's easy when it's about a rural issue, for instance. Mm -hmm. So um, people probably don't realize, but you know, there's coal plants that have been basically mothballed that are being reopened, and you know for what purpose? 
coal production? No, <laughs> no, not coal production. No gas. No, to run cryptocurrency. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. I had not heard of this. I had not heard of right. this. Yeah, this is going wow. on out west. Because that's so that's so, that's so Right, that yeah. is so important. We do need to have a conversation about cryptocurrency some way, but I want to pivot to something else before we uh, run out of time in this segment, Charles. Rick Scott, Senator Rick Scott from Florida, the governor that brought us uh, uh, Don't Say Climate Change. Uh, he has a plan to rescue America. Have you seen his plan? Actually, I was pulling it up since, it's yes. It's awesome. It's just great stuff. Yeah. My, do, you have it, do you have it there so you can read some of the high points? Uh, I'll, no, but I, I can pull it up if you need me to. But uh, <laughs> my favorite Well, here, is, let me, I'll read you some of the high well, points. Let me, let, me, let me read you my favorite one. Okay. Some. Number nine. Men and women are biologically different. Quote, male and female, he created them. Good. He's got a little biblical insertion there. It was, um, he, he was capitalized, I assume. He was capitalized. Yes, Very good. Course. Very good. Um, modern, and I'm continuing Rick, uh, Rick Scott's... Um, Talking point here. Modern technology has confirmed that abortion takes a human life. Wrong. Didn't know that. Uh, facts are facts. The earth is round. I knew that. The sun is hot, except at night. Um, there are two genders, and abortion stops the Well, the sun is always hot. I was just kidding. I was just kidding if you were paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, there are two, two genders, and abortion stops a beating heart. To say otherwise is to deny science. This coming from the senator, former governor, who Denied climate science to the point of, of, of preventing anybody in state government from saying the words climate change or global warming. Right, because it's Crazy. just it's it's just the mirage that these seawaters, you know, coming over and engulfing parts of Miami during different times of the day at this point. Yeah, and appearing in the Everglades right. and the groundwater. Yeah, it's just a mirage. Yeah. Yeah. So um, well, what else? What else has you got in there that's um, that's uh, inspiring? Oh. Uh, oh, he wants, oh, to, he wants to name the border wall after Donald Trump. I love that. Name the, it was the, bad enough they named the, the airport after Reagan in Washington. The, Donald, have have the Donald Trump Memorial border wall, even though Mexico is no longer on the hook to pay for it. <laughs> well, I guess that... I guess that well, yeah, that's I guess why they're it, not naming it after the Mexican Yeah, they're not naming it after <laughs> President Obrador, right? You know? <laughs> the Obrador... Uh, border wall, anyway. Okay, so here, here, this is clearly my favorite. It was number one right up there. Oh, gosh. Number one, of course, is education. Right. Right? Our kids will say the Pledge of Allegiance. And interestingly, it shows children with their arm raised in a left-handed Nazi salute, which actually <laughs> what? was that's the original website? salute. That's on, that's this on, is, on, yeah, this is on the picture. You know, really? The original salute in, up in, through the 1930s was, in fact not hand over your heart for the Pledge of Allegiance. It was actually raising the right arm in what right eventually became known. It was the right, okay. as a Nazi salute. Um, but that, that was in the U.S. They will learn that America is a great country. That was in the U.S., that's okay. correct. Um, and they will choose the school that best fits them. What do you think that is? That's, that's, that's um, privatization. Well, privatization, so it's charter, charter schools, schools, but of yeah. course, it's also, as, as our governor wants, to have uh, brought into being vouchers yeah. so that we pay for basically religious so, so, yeah, I believe, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe item two is also, the, or his second point is related to education. Doesn't that have to do with critical race theory, maybe? Um, yes, yeah, it's interesting, it, that's, that's, that's correct. It's interesting how the terminology is being turned around, yeah, I know. which is that critical race theory is bad because it, it makes people identify with their color of their skin. And therefore, we want a country which is colorblind so that we do not acknowledge that, the color, that there is differences based on the color of your skin. 
Well, that's really interesting because that's actually true, which is the color of your skin has nothing to do with genetic capabilities right. and, and, and phenotypic expression of those genetic capabilities. That is not what the Republican Party is running on. The Republican Party clearly is running on a white supremacist, you know, a dog whistle kind of... They don't have a platform. I mean, they're just, they're just clearly speaking to the aggrieved white person in this country. And then to talk about critical race theory and flip it around that way, it's really, it's, it's pretty, actually, it's pretty savvy. I well, say. yeah, it's, I will say this, that Rick Scott's platform is clever. It's very, it's very, it, it's, they, they thought it through. It's going to be an election strategy. But, but interestingly, there are some Republicans that are pushing back against it. But mostly, not because of the social issues, though, most because he also wants to uh, have low-income people pay something in income tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Republicans, generally speaking, like no taxes. Not even on poor people. <laughs> yeah, they say that, of course. They, you know, that, so, they yeah. exactly. They do right. say that. All right. Anyway, we're we're done with Rick Scott. <laughs> um, hey, folks. Uh, this is Ed Fallon. We got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to tackle inflation. Uh, boring? No, not really. Back in a minute, you'll find out. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever. Please support what we do, folks. Uh, go to the Fallon Forum website, donate, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Thanks also to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. All right, so Charles Goldman's with me today, as you have noticed. Uh, Charles, um, and I didn't call you a doctor this time, okay? I dropped the doctor. Because right, I'm not an economist. No, you're not, well, you're not an economist, even though you're still I'm wearing, you're still I, wearing I, I, green right. scrubs. Right, but I'm not doctor economist. <laughs> no, no. And you just called out of the hospital, right? That's correct. Okay, right. Uh, so, Charles, um, when you told me you wanted to talk about inflation today, my immediate response was, boring. Uh, but, um, but no, uh, this is something we should be paying attention to. Yes, and the reason I, I, I 
you know, brought it up was it was actually an interesting article in Nation magazine by um, James Galbraith. He's the son mm -hmm. of the very well-known Harvard economist, John Kenneth Galbraith. Everybody in the 80s and 90s read his book, you know, when they did economics in college. I don't know. Did you do economics in college? Uh, no. No. Okay. But not, not, not did I. <laughs> but um, it, it, was, it was very intriguing because um, the article pointed out something, which is that we treat inflation as a monetary issue, which somehow can be controlled by monetary policies. So what does everybody think is the answer? And, and this is true on both sides of the political spectrum. Okay. So it's, oh, we'll manipulate in interest rates. Right. And somehow that will magically, uh, you know, stop inflation. The problem is, how does it stop inflation? It stops inflation by creating a recession, is what it does. It discourages economic activity. But in particular, who is hurt the most by that? Because at this point, we're not a, an economy that makes things very much anymore. We don't make goods. We import goods and then spend money to either install them or use them. Or repair them because it, yeah. breaks, because it breaks so quickly. Right. So, so we, the, the main cost, the main price right now in the United States is wages. Because service industry, that is their biggest price. And that is what they're incorporating into their prices. So... If, if the American worker thinks that the traditional answer, which is manipulation of monetary policy, is going to be good for them because the price of gasoline will go down, which is a fixation that needs to end. <laughs> There's no question, gas, you know, but, but here again, I mean, why are the American people not asking this question? The price of gasoline responded almost immediately to the wholesale price changes, even though none of that gas reached the gas station for right. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Notice that as the price of gas has now come down from its peak, the inflexibility of the prices has basically kept them up, right? Right. Uh, is that not profiteering? Or, I mean, well, yeah, it should be, yeah. But, uh, but you know, again, the, the, the oil companies are going to make profit however they can. Right. And, 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 but but, but the, the, the media has fixated the American public on things that are highly visible without making them understand. You mean like gas prices? Like gas prices. Well, I mean, and, and the Republican Party has done a great job about that. Right, because they well. really weaponized it. But I think but, the, the issue is, this. We, we already went through this in 2008. We ended up in, in 2008 because of the free money that was given under the liar's loans of the mortgages and everything else. We collapsed well, the economy by inflating and, and because it. because lots of fraudulent activity on, on behalf of the big banks. Uh, right, who paid yeah. no price, by the way, for the most part. For right. any well, they, they, got a, they got a slap on the wrist... Uh, by the uh, go to jail other than nope. Bernie Madoff? No, no, no but the, 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 uh, the task force chaired by our own attorney general here, Tom Miller, basically gave him a slap on the wrist. But, but let's, you know, going back here again, it, it's about the malinvestment of the money as it moves through our economy. It's the fact that what we have is asset inflation, which has no particular social benefit. Right. What do you mean by asset, asset inflation? inflation? Is just the stock price, not ASSET. Right. You have asset inflation, which is the phony stock market increase. Remember, the stock market went up as the economy was cratering. So yachts get more expensive. Well, that's right. And corporations bought back shares and made more money buying back shares than spending it in any meaningful way, right? Right. Yes, and it helps people who sold their house for 30% more than it was worth a year ago, which, of course, is ludicrous. 
that your house would be worth that. But who benefits that? Who benefits by that? It takes, it takes people like fit, retirees on fixed incomes, young people out of the housing market. They can't do anything. The, your interest rates are near zero, which means savings are worthless. And it benefits a small cadre, a small portion of the population who's able to make money off this real estate scam and the way that we treat real estate in this country preferentially. You know, and <clears throat> so again, the time is, instead of just listening to what we're fed, the same pablum, question, this is another one of those times where we could make an economy that would actually be fairer, that would actually be more useful to more people. Well, this is a bipartisan problem too. No, and I'm, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Right, because they love the monetary solution, you know, yeah. the, the Milton Friedman solution. So they look, forward to the, they look forward to the next round of inflation, right? Well, ultimately, the, ultimately <laughs> I mean, really. the reality is if you want to fix the infrastructure of this country and employ people and pay them well and be able to get housing for people, you are going to have inflation. Mm. And that the, you have to understand that if you want to stop inflation, that means prices somewhere have to go down. And the main price that goes down in this country right now is wages. Mm, right. So, 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 you know, it's... it's now, it, now, is, 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 is your, um, your contention that, wage, that wage, wage earners are the primary victims in any effort to tackle inflation, is that borne out by previous bouts of, uh, of, of, uh, of, attempting, of, of tackling the interest issue by, you know, as a way to deal with inflation? Yeah, because people lost their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's pretty consistent, I believe. I mean, that how, is many, how many how many such periods? And, you know, we remember we have three we have almost three million less jobs coming out of COVID than we did two years ago, so this is already happening. Yeah. At the same time that our governor is wanting to limit unemployment benefits. Yeah. Well, and that's happening around the country that, too. That's true. But it's, that uh, is true. But she I pointed want, out. But but she wants to bring us in line with the rest of the country. <laughs> well, no, she wants to she wants to one up the rest of the country. No, no, she she was very specific. These, she well, said this would be consistent with other states. Well, I, the I, one I, I we think bigger, I think it's a bigger hit than most uh, than, than most states have, uh, have attempted. But but yeah, so so you've got uh, states cutting back on unemployment as we are looking at an attempt to address inflation by. Uh, by meddling with the in interest rates again, which is going to affect workers. Um, what kind of a cycle is that? <laughs> it's a cycle we're always in. We're always in the yeah, same yeah. cycle. And so it's, it's built into the economy. Um, I mean, th th really, this, this has to happen for, the, for this we, model. Because we don't, we don't change the fundamental nature of our economy. Everything about our economy now is about financialization. It's about keeping assets at a higher value. But the, having assets at a higher value benefits a very small part of our population. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's, that's the part of the population that counts, Charles. Where would we be without yacht owners? It, it's the part of the population that somehow thinks they count and, and identifies with other people who, in fact, do have obscene amounts of wealth. Yeah. That's the biggest problem, which is that you have the professionals and people who make six-figure income to identify, instead of with themselves as just a high-priced worker, they identify with the one percenters or the top five percenters or whatever, and don't understand that they should be championing their cause, which is the same as the cause of somebody yeah. who's working a $15 an hour job. But human nature is working against that. Yes, unfortunately, <laughs> that's true. But also, you've got an eco economic model that's working against it because the economic model is analyst growth. We're continue, we have to continue to grow, continue to expand. Uh, 
the quote consumers, which is a really, uh, to me, a very crass and offensive word for human beings, uh, must continue to do better, meaning consume more. And, and that, that's a model that's, you're always going to see boom and bust periods with that kind of a model. We don't measure human happiness. We don't measure the quality of our air and our water. We don't measure, um, don't measure all these things that are much more important than whether we're continuing to consume more than we did the previous well, year. Well, and it, it, it's a measure of how sick our society is that the happiest cultures, you know, the nation's always held up as, you know, having the greatest level of happiness generally, are the Scandinavian countries. They have the bleakest weather in the world. <laughs> it's like winter there for nine months, right? You know, but you know what they, you know what the people there say? The basic needs are taken care of. Yeah. Basic needs like guaranteeing people housing, mm -hmm. guaranteeing people health care are taken care of. They, it, 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 it is not human nature that we have to consume yeah. endlessly. But here, here the response would be, well, that's a free lunch. We can't be just giving those people you know, health care without them paying any portion of it. Or if they want a home, they should go out and buy one. That's the response. Right. And, and, and that's exactly how you end up with young people unable to ever buy a house, with the fact that black people and other minorities have been shut out of the real estate market systematically Red even line, after Red the line. civil rights mm -hmm. movement yep. in the 60s. So they never had the chance to accumulate wealth in, the, in, in housing. That's the reason why there's a huge difference between African-American wealth in this country and the wealth of whites in this country. Mm -hmm. It's almost totally due to the difference in the value of their housing. Mm. right? Because most people don't have much money in the bank. You know, other than Social Security, most people have no assets except for their house. Yeah. But the people have been excluded systematically. This isn't critical race theory. This is just fact. And no matter what Rick Scott says, that's the facts of the United States. Yeah. I want to hear that we're supposed to only talk glowingly of the United States. <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> well, that makes you a communist, Charles, and you just really need to get back to Russia where you can't. <laughs> it doesn't make you a communist <laughs> to believe that you can make people's lives better by providing for the basics, and then people can still accomplish and achieve beyond that. I have no problem with there being wealthy people, but I do have a problem with there being exceedingly wealthy people in a society like ours where people are you know, experiencing poverty, that's inexcusable. Well, one thing that's true in Scandinavian countries uh, that's not true here is you've got a much uh, lower threat, the lower um, ratio of CEO pay to average worker pay. It's still fairly, I mean, I want to say it's a couple hundred times as much. But here it's like off the charts. It's, and it, it, it used to be very similar here in terms of how much CEOs and other Well, you, can thank, you can thank the supply siders like Milton Friedman who you know came up with this idea that the only obligation of a corporation is to is to enrich the shareholders of that corporation and who then well, linked up the compensation of those same leaders of those corporations to the value of the stock. Mm. So it, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so you have co companies extracting money. It was interesting. Howard Schultz is taking over Starbucks again, right? Yeah, you know, the, coming, the, out, of, coming right. out of retirement. And what's the first was, thing he was, said? Was he bored? Yeah, what's the first thing he said? They're putting a moratorium. I'll have a on, please. No, he no. said they're putting a moratorium on stock buybacks at Starbucks. The price of the stock tanked, right? Okay. Because the point of, as he, as he said, the point of making so money as a corporation is actually to invest in the corporation and the workers. Now, they're being pushed by unionization. Right. So they're going to have to respond to the workers. 
So for a much more legitimate use of their profits is to pay their workers better. Yeah. Not to just simply buy back stock to enrich the small cadre of people who run the company. So, and speaking of which, we, we just saw in, uh, was it an Amazon workplace uh, in New Jersey, perhaps, New York? Staten Island, I can't remember. It was Staten Island. Staten Island. That just unionized over the objections of the company, the strong objections, and not mm -hmm. just objections, but efforts to prevent that from happening. Um, that we may see as as this uh, battle against inflation, this uh, faux you know this faux war against inflation continues. Uh, we may see more successful efforts to unionize. Yes, no. Yep, possibly. Yeah. I mean, these are the kinds of things we need to do. I mean, you've got unionization rates in Europe that are like ninety percent. What do you mean ninety percent of of workers, workers are in some sort of trade association or? And here union? it's what ten. About ten. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a, and it used to be a lot higher here, of course. But. Well, it was it was hollowed out, obviously, in the 80s. Yeah. You know, well, uh, and, and, well it was Probably. hollowed out in the recession that was gen engendered to stop, you know, the inflation, which was going, was running away, leading into the Reagan administration. I mean, that's why Carter lost, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and what Car Carter actually lost because the high interest rates caused the recession toward the end of his well, administration. It was also the way he handled the Iran hostage situation. Yes, but it was probably more the economy than that. And, yeah. and of course, then there's the whole question of did Reagan actually coordinate with the Iranians in terms yeah. of the release? Well, we may never know hostages. that, but I would not be surprised because what they were released the day after the election. Um, <laughs> yes, I, it was I essentially that. Yeah. Right, because yeah. they, were, they were so yeah. fearful of America now that the weak Democrat who wore the sweater, no, I the button-down sweater was out of the, you know, and took the solar panel. He was so weak, yeah, he, he put solar, solar panels, panels on the white house. I know, he was really gosh. a wimp. Yeah, <laughs> solar panels, what a, what a ridiculous idea. Yeah, so anyway, you know, I, I guess, um, how do you, how do you, the average person who's really busy, often working two jobs, and burning the candles, candle at both ends sometimes, how do you get them, what's the core message that you can reduce this conversation about inflation to? That simply moving money around, you know, changing interest rates changes nothing for them. You know, and that they should be demanding from both parties an answer to what are you going to do about inflation. If the answer is we're going to change interest rates, they're not going to do anything about inflation. And, the, and they're going to do it in a way that's going to make you actually poor. And the answer should be? The answer should be that we're going to stop malinvestment. We're going to cut down the amount of money we waste on the military. We're going to build the infrastructure that needs to be built. We're gonna put people in meaningful jobs, so, doing meaningful things. Uh, more like a, a depression era um, uh, progress, works progress act. Yeah. Yeah, public, yeah. yeah. I mean, because we, we're just papering over. Yeah. We're papering over what essentially is a long-running depression mm. that's papered over by asset inflation. All right. Hey folks, this is Ed Fallon. Charles Goldman's with me here in the studio. We've got to take a short break and we'll be right back with more conversation. We're going to switch it up when we come back. We're going to be discussing gerrymandering and other U.S. Uh, political ele electioneering. And uh, I guess we're going to um, see if we can compare that to what goes on in Russia, Vladimir Putin style. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. 
We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum. You can support this alternative to the shock jacks by becoming a monthly donor or business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And thanks to Western Optometry located in Des Moines East Village, Dr. Joel Western and his staff are fluent in both English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. So Charles, um, <laughs> what do we say about this? Uh, you know, we've seen some interesting rulings here in the U.S. I mean, gerrymandering. There's been there's been so much election mischief going on, and it's not all. I mean, there there has been mischief on the Democratic side, but clearly, it is uh, Trump in Trump. Well, you know what I have to say to that. Stop the steal. What? Stop, Stop the, the steal, steal. right. <laughs> but, you know, the biggest steal, in my opinion, is gerrymandering. Now we have some court rulings that um, are actually playing out in the right direction on that. But, um, you know, some are saying that, well, you know, our elections are so messed up. And this is a, you know, I, I, I'm, this is not siding with Donald Trump at all. This, the, the whole process is so compromised that... Yeah, you know, you look over at the Soviet, uh, the Soviet it shows you I've been around for a while. You look over at Russia and you see how Vladimir Putin managed to secure himself a pretty much lifetime appointment to, to head, head the Russian Federation um, by some shameless uh, election maneuvering. Uh, and is it really that different than some of the stuff that's happening here? I, I, I think it is a little bit different than what happens here. But uh, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, there was, a, there was an article in the Times, New York Times, uh, a couple of days ago, concerned with how the Democrats came out better in the various gerrymanders, uh, you know, in terms of the House uh, districts nationwide, to the point that it looks like it's about 50-50 in terms of um, reasonably reliable Democrat versus Republican districts, right? And the really? weird thing about this, the weird thing about this was it was kind of presented you know, given the audience for the New York Times tends to lean Democratic slash left. You know, status, set, status quo left. Status quo left, <laughs> right. So it was kind of to, meant to reassure them that things aren't that bad. Hmm. So I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, no, things are really bad. And they're really bad because if, if we already know that these districts are set up so that essentially about only 30 of them are competitive, even reasonably competitive, 
it's not that much different than voting for the Politburo in well, Russia in the sense is. that why bother having the election if we've already made the districts to predict how they're going to vote? Yeah. I mean, my biggest problem, I've said this before on the show, it's not about Democrat and Republican. If we would stop this nonsense where you can take a computer and figure out, draw these dragon-shaped districts, draw geographically contiguous districts, right. some of which incorporate rural and cities and suburbs and you know whatever, so that you have a mix of people, and you actually have to run in your district. Yeah. So instead of picking your voters, the voters actually pick their representative, and the rep and the and the district looks more like the United States, or at least more like the state you're in, yeah. than something you've made up. I mean, so you've, you you know it's, it's nonsensical. You have these things like Alabama, which is like twenty something percent African American, and there's not a single district. They they drew maps in which there's not a single district mm. in which there's a possibility that an African American will be elected unless it's somebody, you know, like a Tim Scott, you know, who's a Republican African-American. There's not that many of them who are that successful, right? right. right? <laughs> you know, so it, 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 this is not democracy, right. right? You know, and of course the Senate is a joke. Because well, the, the Senate is structurally a joke. It's a joke. It, it, <laughs> there's, it, 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 there's, there's no way to reform the Senate other than to, well, you know, well, abolish it. To, or amend, to amend the Constitution, Right. I mean, there is no other way, which is to get rid of, yes, every state gets one senator, and then the rest of the senators are proportioned by population, which is actually how a lot of state legislatures do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so um, you know, and again, I, I don't, I, I'm tuning Iowa's horn here. I do that once in a while, but we do have it right when it comes to redistricting. Mm -hmm. It's done by a nonpartisan agency, and the uh, House and Senate, Iowa House and Senate, get to vote it up or down. They can't amend it. They can't jerry-rig it, jerry, gerrymander it. Um, and it's, I, was, I was thinking that, I, I was concerned that Republicans, now that they have kind of total control in Iowa, I was concerned they were going to try to mess with it and permanently ruin the nonpartisan nature of it. And they didn't. And so as a result, we have four new districts. One of them is solidly Republican. And that makes sense, <laughs> given the... Well, it's going to be the, north, the, the northwest part of the state. Well, yeah, northwest and north central. Mm -hmm. And the other three are competitive. So in Iowa, 75% of our districts are competitive mm -hmm. versus what percentage nationwide? 10 percent. 10 percent. It's about 30 to 40 districts out of yeah. 400 and so that, that that should tell you that something. And you you look at the Iowa districts, and they don't look like dragons or amoebas mm -hmm. or space aliens. Right. You know, they, they they they're kind of blockish, as they should be. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, there are other states that that do this to some extent, but more and more this. This uh, this manipulation of data in order to create a political advantage, it's it's become commonplace. As you, as you mentioned, in, in Alabama, twenty percent of the population African American, zero congressional representation because of the way the districts have been have been cut up. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 it, again the the bar has been set pretty low. When you're happy that these districts are fifty fifty, yeah, then there's a problem in the United States because we know that in terms of registered Democrats versus Republicans. It's not 50-50 in this country. Yeah. But not as bad as uh, what's happening in, in Russia. Well, in Russia, they have like 95% <laughs> of the people go back to the Politburo. In the United States, we have like 85% of the people go back year yeah. after year after year after year. So we're 10% shy of the same kind of yeah, uh, I mean, success rate that Vladimir Putin And I know, I know that Rick Scott it. says we should be singing the praises of the United States forever and the wisdom of the founding fathers. But this is actually a horrible electoral system. I thought you said we need to rescue it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's really interesting because there was there was this discussion uh, I was listening to the other day in which, 
you know, the 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 commentator and, and, and whom they were interviewing, I'm just unfortunately blanking on it right now, was saying, why exactly do we revere the wisdom of property white slave owners as that's the original, why do I care what a white slave owner believed in the 1770s? Why, you know, because the, the whole notion of the courts is, you know, at least from the, the Heritage Foundation side, originalism. Mm -hmm. That we should look at the discussions that were had around that. And then, of course, when, when the discussions aren't convenient, like the discussion around the Second <laughs> Amendment, which clearly didn't talk about <clears throat> individual rights, you know, to... well-formed militia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. We know the militia was, was you know, slave patrols. Um, you know, they ignore it. But the point is... That, yeah, I mean, why are we locked into a system that was generated by people who talked a good game? I mean, okay. they were very young. Yeah, but how, how do you fix it? How do you fix it? I mean, well, the, the system is rigged. You can't fix it because you can't amend the Constitution right. without a, a majority of states you'll never get. You couldn't even get the ERA passed, you know, for women, right? Because you couldn't get enough votes in the you know, states in enough time. Yeah. So well, how are you ever going to get the Senate fixed? Then let it be fixed. Well, it has to be fixed because it's not working. Uh, the, the, the Electoral College doesn't work. The U.S. Senate doesn't work. The filibuster doesn't work. Uh, gerrymandering doesn't work. Uh, a lot of the election law changes around the country that are really in, intended to suppress uh, the vote do not work. Um, I, I would, I, and I'm going I'm to say that I think both political parties don't work anymore. One of them is just off, off the wall, you know, crazy. <laughs> and the other has become the party of the establishment. And the status quo well, is the party of the loudest, of well. the loudest voices yeah. who take offense at everything. Yeah. You know, and so, no, you're absolutely right. And, and my plea would be to move beyond the idea of Democrats and Republicans and say a government that is as stagnated as this one cannot address what's coming in the future. Right. Now, that could be alien so, invasion, yeah, okay. but I mean, well, you know, but clearly. The alien invasion is way down the list of major threats. But, but no, you can say that, but then how do you fix it? That's the problem. I, my, my, here's the, all right, I'm, I'm going to answer the question. Since you didn't do it, okay. I, it's all the burdens on me, Charles. Okay. I'll answer the question. How do you fix it? We need a new party. Not a third party, a new party. One that replaces one of the existing parties. I think the Democratic Party is the most logical party to replace. I think it has to happen. Uh, at the ground level, uh, in, in, in many states at the same time, you need candidates running for the lowest partisan office possible. In Iowa, that would be a House seat of about 30,000, a, a state House seat, about mm -hmm. 30,000 people, or actually even less. In, in counties, you have partisan districts that are, that are what, 5,000, 10,000 people. Uh, and and, and you, you do that with a party that is... Not, not involved with hot-button social issues, not engaged with cancel culture, with wokeness, uh, with... Abortion stay rights, stay LGBTQ... Guns, stay away it's from all, all that side. It's, it, it's a sideshow, although it is painful to the people who yes, are the victims of that sideshow. Yeah, I know, and right now we're dealing with a, we're looking at a trial in Florida for this uh, horrible uh, school shooting in, uh, in Broward County. But, you know... Well, it's, it's, it's a sentencing. Yeah, the Senate. It's right, the sentencing portion. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to get once again to talk about yeah. should we kill people? You know, I, and you and I, and probably every every person we know on the political right that we have, that we can have a good conversation with, has strong feelings about that issue. Put that aside. Focus on economic, environmental, and structural stuff. 
you know, again, part of the commitment of this third party, you know, this new party uprising should be to enact all the reforms we talked about. Do away with gerrymandering. Do away with electoral college. Do away with the U.S. Senate as it exists currently. Do away with the filibuster. Bring back a more democratic approach because, again, as you pointed out, we're only 10% different than the Politburo. <laughs> you know, Vladimir Putin does not have us beat by too much when it comes to a system that is rigged. Right. And, so, and I, I'm, I'm concerned that it's even going to be more rigged with Donald Trump setting the, uh, setting the, uh, the table for, this, for, for, uh, for a complete denial of whatever happens in the next election. We're, see, we're going to see even worse, an even worse situation when it comes to election integrity. No, I agree. I mean, I, I, we, are, we are stuck in a cycle, just like we talked about. Boom and bust in the economy, inflation, recession in the economy, it's always the same, you know, rinse, dry, repeat. Yeah. So, you know. so I've got a solution. Again, I, I don't know whether it's the Libertarian Party, some independent Freedom and Liberty Party, yeah, I call it, there's all sorts of things you can call it, the, 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 the Charles Goldman Party, I don't know, uh, no, maybe not that. Probably but, not. No, that. probably not that. But, uh, you know, there's this, call it something reasonable, <laughs> uh, and, just, and build that coalition. You reach across the political aisle to somebody who disagrees with you on the hot button issues. Agree to put those aside while we work on the core stuff. And find candidates, good candidates, at those smallest levels of partisan government. You know, if you if you start if you start electing a state you know, a couple state legislators, in in states where the where the vote is close, unlike Iowa right now, <laughs> uh, but you start electing, you know independent thinker, thinkers who start challenging that two-party system and who focus on the stuff that really unites all of us, that's going to upset the apple cart in a way that, that nothing has upset the apple cart in, in, a, in a hundred years. So that's my solution, Charles. What's yours? Well, and I think, I, I think that I like that solution. I, I, I would want the people involved in that effort to not simply be doing this to accrue and maintain power, which is, that's all these right. parties have become. Yes. They don't really care about governing. In particular, the Republican Party doesn't care about no. governing. Neither does the Democratic Party. Well, I guess, I would say, I'll give them the credit, they care about governing, but they care about holding on to their power more. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it from the inside. I, I, I think that it is, it is true of both parties, yes. And, I mean, it would seem to me that if you had the opportunity to have the power of the presidency, Instead of wasting four years, you know, kowtowing to the base, you know, and uh, having no platform, but simply all you want to do is lower taxes, right, and, and, and pay fealty to your donors. I don't even know why these donors are so important anymore. You can run a campaign on the Internet for very little money. You don't really need TV ads. Nobody watches TV anymore to that degree. You know, so... Um, you know, use, use that opportunity to govern, to do policy. Stop doing social issues. Do policy. Stay, okay, you know. And I, and I agree, and that's going to take a new party right. that has a different, different perspective on what politics and is all I, I, I would ask the American public, why do you care about so many of these social issues? Most of the time, they don't affect you personally whatsoever. Hmm. Right? And all you're doing is getting played. Yeah, and both sides are getting played, right? Right. Yeah, all right. But we're not getting played. No, we're better than that. Uh, <laughs> well, we, 
We pay attention at least. Hey folks, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Charles Goldman has been with me. Again, this is Ed Fallon. When we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns will join us for our farm and food segment. And today we're going to be talking about subsistence farming in the U.S. then and now. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit doing good work, you can also become a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm joins me on the farm and food segment, as usual, to discuss uh, subsistence farming in the U.S., past and present. And you know, we're well, we're part of the we're, we're part of the present, <laughs> although it's not as common now as it once was. What you know, what you you know a thing or two, Kathy, about the past part of this. Uh, you come from a family of subsistence farmers. Right. I, well, it, it's really an interesting story. But this occurred to me in December, Ed, when we were uh, sitting at home minding our own business, and we got a <laughs> survey from the USDA. Who knows? The government intruding into your home and you're minding your well, own business. Well, it, it was um, a notice that we were required as an, an urban farm to fill out the yearly census of agriculture. And it was fun because <laughs> I'm, glad, the I'm glad you had fun with the government form. Well, some of the <laughs> questions um, made me think about how the word farm really means tons and tons of acres and selling a lot of crops and other right. products. And I literally had to answer in the section that said, how many acres of cropland do you have? And I had to write 0.125. Did, we, they, have, did they have a 
place to accommodate that? Well, they didn't have a decimal point. I had to add it in and add the little spaces after. And then some of the questions were a little bit funny because one of the questions asked about total acres in, quote, cropland, and another asked any fruit, berry, or nut crops, or any vegetables or melon crops. I thought, aren't those crops? Yeah. And they're not considered crops by most Right. Sometimes I think uh, people who do what we do are called, quote, hobby farmers. But, you know, if if growing one's own food is a hobby, then so is shopping at a grocery store. It's it's (laughs) to feed yourself, and it's serious business. So how would you define subsistence farming, Ken? It's it's farming. um, It's food production to feed you yourself, your immediate uh, household, and you may have some surplus that you sell. The surplus that we sell at Birds and Bees Urban Farm is seedlings. We plant more seedlings than we are going to plant, and that is um, that's that's our only real surplus. The occasional honey, you know, or egg, (laughs) maybe an egg. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean it's. uh, Subsistence farming in the U.S. has been in the decline since, uh, since quote, settlement, but it's still a big deal around the world. I mean, I mean when, I was, when I was a kid in Ireland, everybody was a subsistence farmer. It's such a big deal around the world, um, especially compared to the U.S., where I couldn't find any good statistics on really? people doing subsistence farming. Seems like most people were farming at least, you know, dozens and dozens of acres, yeah. and, and we farm an eighth. Of an acre. Well, or hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of acres. Mm-hmm. So what about the rest of the world? Well, it, uh, in contrast, uh, in rural Africa uh, and parts of Asia and Latin America, uh, it's, it's really big. In 2015, about 2 billion people, or slightly more than 25% of the world's population, living in rural areas of developing nations survive as smallholder farmers. In other words, working less than five acres of land. Hmm. Okay. Um, Five figures sounds like a lot. It sounds like <laughs> a me. lot to us. <laughs> to us, right? It does. <laughs> but um, why don't we think about the then? This is subsistence farming now. Yeah, okay. Let's think about the then okay. because in my great-great-grandparents' day, um, five acres wasn't quite enough. Uh, they happened to have a family of 21 children. Well, so 160 they, <laughs> acres are pretty standard in Iowa back then, huh? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I looked up some uh, some data from that. The, the, we're talking the turn of the 20th century. And 150, 160 acres was a, pretty much a standard farm. Um, my grandmother had 13 younger siblings. She had two half-sisters and four half-brothers. So, yes, big family. The There were, um, there you know... There a lot was of miles a lot to of, feed. A lot of miles to feed. And what they what did they grow? Well, it's it's interesting because my aunt narrated a story about what that farm was like. She remembers going to her uh, mother's and grandparents' farm, and they had everything for livestock. They did um, horses. They bred and sold horses, they so that was part of their livelihood. Horses. They didn't eat the horses. Okay. They did eat. <laughs> Um, they did eat uh, pork. They raised Chester white swine. They bred and sold those. But they also had dairy and meat cattle. With their dairy cattle, they, they made their own. Of course, they had their own milk. They had cream, butter, cheeses. They sold a little bit of that. Mm. Um, but it They looks, made butter. 
They so did. that ru- that runs in the family because you make yeah, our butter. That's right. <laughs> but the uh, the girls in the household were in charge of the chickens, the right. ducks, the geese, the guinea fowl, egg money, and uh, they <laughs> they managed just chickens alone. They managed about a thousand per year. And people people probably maybe some people know that that was a thing in Iowa back in the day. Egg money. Egg money. That was what you got to spend on yourself. For grains, they grew corn, oats, barley, wheat, and hops, and I think a lot of that was for their own, um, you know, feeding their livestock or or for grinding into uh, flour flour that they would eat. Uh, They grew hay, alfalfa, and timothy hay, or timothy grass. It was a kind of grass that a lot of people used for Timothy hay sounds like a name. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Mr. Hay. Yeah, Tim. You can call me Tim. (laughs) They had as many vegetables as you could name, uh, all the typical ones, and canned and put in the root cellar what uh, mm-hmm. what they could keep throughout the winter. Um, they had a lot of fruits uh, for trees, apples, peaches, pears, apricots, cherries, mulberries. They For the apples, they actually canned those. They dried them, yeah. too, and they made them into well, vinegar. Presumably, they don't have to cultivate mulberries. They just grow pretty darn well on their own. Well, and <laughs> uh, then they, they cultivated blackberries, raspberries, currants, dewberries, chokeberries. For elderberry, choke they maybe? choke cherries, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, and okay. um, elderberry, they also used the bark for poultices. Mm. I'm not sure how that was. They had strawberries, watermelons, other melons, and anything that didn't get uh, eaten by the family would be fed to the hogs. They had couple. They had nut trees, walnut, beech nut, hickory, hazelnut, butternut. That's all in, all in your your family. All on their wow, farm. Gosh. And for linden trees, they had linen um, berries, but also they used the pods uh, dried up for tea. Oh, I never and knew I, that. And I I didn't know huh. that you could do that. They had all the herbs. They foraged. Uh, the the wow. men, you know, did some hunting and trapping right. for meat and pelts. <laughs> uh, deer, rabbits, squirrels, they fished. I'm, yeah. The, the that's, that's amazing. That's, that's a lot of different food products. Well, then the interesting yeah. ones for me were clover. Oh. And for I, I'm not exactly sure. As a cover crop? That was not elaborated on. Huh, it a, would be, be a, a good cover crop. crop. Cover crop. Yeah. Um, my great-great-grandmother made yeast. Hmm. Possibly from uh, the the grapes mm-hmm. that would ferment, and they could do that. They grew sugar cane. Really, the children had the job of stripping the sugar cane of its leaves, and then it was uh, pressed and boiled into molasses. That so, almost sounds like more work than raising bees or harvesting maple syrup. They were good eaters. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's quite. A, and again, you know, today there are subsistence farmers, and there are probably more people doing that because it's a it's a it's a great way to live. It needs actually. to be done. Yeah. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us. You betcha. Folks, I'd like to thank our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, my co-host, and Kathy Burns with uh, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and, of course, myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we will be back again next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.